have to look it up. But let's take the next 30 days and thank God for what he has not only done for us, but what he has done in us and what he's continuing to do in us through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just about being saved. The gospel is applicable to our everyday life. God began that work in you through his son, Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. God is continually working in us so that he can ultimately work through us as the gospel is presented to those around us. So in uh, Romans chapter 12, we are coming to a transition. Whenever Paul uses the word therefore, it it means he's about to make a transition. And so in uh, Romans chapters 1 through 3, he talked about the issue of sin. And he says, you know, there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all fallen short, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he moved to the issue of salvation in the next couple chapters. And he talked about how salvation came through Jesus Christ. God saw the mess that the world was in. He had the solution to that mess, and his name was Jesus. So Jesus came into the world and provided for us what we could not provide for ourselves. And then he has another, therefore, he moves into the section of sanctification. Now that you have this relationship with Christ, here's how God will grow you in that relationship so that what God's doing in you will not only affect you, but it will also have an impact upon the lives around you. How you relate as a husband or a wife, how you relate as a parent, how how you relate as a co-worker or as an employer, and so on and so forth. And we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. We're going to take a deep dive into that. I'm going to give you a couple handouts to help you understand how God has wired you. So that if you understand what God's made you to be, uh, then you understand what God has made you to do. So there are certain things that God made you to do uh, based on how he has wired you. Right? So there are things that I do. You know, I'm, I'm a public speaker. I'm a pastor. I, I speak you know, publicly every Sunday here on this platform or somewhere else. But I'm not a singer, okay? Those of you who know, I'm not a singer. So, I, you know, if I were to say to Greg, hey, I, I'm the pastor of the church. I want to be on the praise team. You've got to put me on there because, after all, I'm the pastor. That would be a huge mistake on his part. What he needs to say, sit down and shut up. You're not singing, okay? You're just that's the way it is. And so then, now, as he makes another transition, therefore, in chapter 12, he's moving now into the issue of service. And this is what he's going to talk about through the remainder of this book until chapter 16. He has some concluding remarks. So in the first 11 chapters, Paul dealt primarily with our vertical relationship with God. This God who loves us, who seeks us, who forgave us, who pursued us, who adopted us into his family, who never leaves us, who never forsakes us. And so this incredible relationship that we've entered in through his son, Jesus Christ, and it's not because of what I have done or don't do, it's because of what Jesus has done on my behalf and yours, right? Religion says, I obey in order to be accepted by God. The gospel says, I'm accepted in Christ, therefore I walk in obedience to God. My motivation is totally different. I'm not trying to gain God's approval or acceptance. I'm obeying out of a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness for what he's done in my life and continues to do throughout the course of my life all the way into eternity and throughout eternity. Right? So that's the motivation behind what we do. So now when he comes to chapter 12 and verse 12 through 16, he's going to talk more about our vertical relationships. 
Once you have this relationship with God, you have an example and the resources for all of your experiences in life. For example, God forgave us. So what are we supposed to do with others? Forgive them. Right? God loved us. How do we respond to others? By loving them. God is the one who pursued us. How are we to pursue others? God is the one who is generous towards us. How are we going to be generous towards others? So he's given us the example through Christ. He's made the transformation inside of us to enable us to live the life of Christ. So that now I'm having the mind of Christ, and then I have the spirit of Christ through the Holy Spirit, who is developing the character of Christ called the fruit of the Spirit, that enables us to live lives that are absolutely transformed and different than they were before. And so Paul is simply echoing the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Remember when Jesus was asked the question about all the commandments, 613 commandments plus what they added to that, of all the do's and don'ts, which ones are the most important? Jesus said what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. He narrowed it down to those two aspects. This is what Paul has done. He says, here's the, our love for God, our vertical relationship. Here's our love for others, our horizontal relationship. And this is how we live it out in our lives. Jesus said it's all about relationships because your relationship with God informs and transforms how you relate to others. So I put it in a single statement at the top of your outline. And it simply says this. The true test of your beliefs is seen through your behavior. So I can say I believe a lot of things, but if it doesn't change how I behave, it is suspect at best. So what Paul has done, he spent 11 chapters giving us our beliefs. He laid the theological foundation of our Christian life and walk with the Lord, 11 chapters worth, and now beginning in chapter 12, he's going to say now, now this is what we believe what God has done for us, what God's doing in us, what God can do through us. Now we're going to put it into practice in our everyday lives, and here's how we're going to do it. And so he's going to spell it out. This is how we interact. If somebody is, let's say, for example, at work, and they come, and they just like, they've been talking behind your back, they're ridiculing you, they're spreading rumors about you, gossip about you, you know, it's on social media about you, how are you going to respond to that? Well, the flesh will say, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? The flesh is going, well, well, you said that about me. Well, wait till I get done with you on social media. But what would the Spirit of Christ say? He says, no, no, no. There's a whole different way we can approach this. There's a whole different way we can relate because God is transforming us from the inside out. So Paul says, therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, what are God's mercies? First 11 chapters. In view of all of that, uh, let's offer our bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, the first thing we need to do is to die to self, which is counterculture, right? When you came into the world, you were filled with self. You lived for self. Every day you got up and looked in the mirror, and you said to yourself, well, uh, what do I think? What do I need? What do I feel? What do I want to do? 
What pleases me? But when you have an encounter with Jesus that is life-transforming, that is transformational in the mind and in your heart, now all of a sudden you get up and you say, God, in light of all that you've done for me, I'm offering my body to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, I'm interested in what you want, what you desire, how you feel, what you'd want me to do, how you want me to react, how you want me to respond to this situation, whatever it is that you're laying out before him. So we're approaching life from a totally different mindset. Rather than being driven by self, I'm now being driven by Christ. I'm being driven by the Holy Spirit of God. And so the shift goes from living for ourselves to dying to ourselves and living for God. In other words, my thought is now, uh, what leftovers can I give to God to a transition How can I give God my best in every single area of my life? See, if I'm living for self, God's on the back burner of my life. He's kind of an addendum. He's kind of an attachment. He might get the leftovers of my life, but that's pretty much it, right? If I got some leftover time, I got some leftover money, I've got some leftover, uh, you know, ability to serve, uh, I'll, I'll get to that, Lord, but I've got to take care of self first. And God says, no, how about we approach life by putting Jesus at the center of our lives and every single day of our lives, we offer our body to him as a living sacrifice because we have the mind of Christ, we want to have the heart of Christ, we want to have the passion of Christ, we want to do the will of God, that good and pleasing and perfect will, therefore God, what can I do today that would give you my absolute best in every area of my life? And when we approach life from that perspective, all of a sudden things begin to change. Like, Father, how can I be the best husband to my wife that I can be today? How can I be the best father to my children that I could possibly be today? How can I be the best pastor to my congregation that I could be today? Because everything I do, I want it to honor you. I want it to glorify you because I want you to be represented, represented accurately to those around me. This is what Paul's coming, the mindset he's coming from. So I want to talk about the reason God deserves your best, the requirement, and the result of it. Here's the reason he deserves our best. He says, because it's in view of what? God's mercies. Now, this is where we get pushback um, as followers of Jesus. So just let me take a minute and do chase a rabbit for a second that helps put all this in perspective. In light of God's mercies, I want you to offer your body as living sacrifices. So people say to me all the time, you know, when they find out I'm a pastor, whenever they've got a dig against God, they're going to ask me about it. And here's the one I hear often. Well, if God is so loving and so merciful and so kind and so gracious, why does he allow suffering and evil to continue in this world? If God were really as merciful as you say he is and loving and kind and gracious, Why doesn't he put a stop to it? If God is all-powerful and all-loving, why doesn't he put an end to humanity's suffering? So this is the question can be asked in multiple different ways. So let me just kind of give you a a little bit of arsenal by which you can answer that question. So there are three things I try to point out to people. Is one, you know, God has displayed himself as a very powerful individual, right? Jeremiah 32.7 says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. 
Nothing is too hard for you. And so this is where we say God is omnipotent, right? God is all-powerful. There's nothing. We used the word sovereign for the last couple of weeks. God is sovereign over his creation. He is an all-powerful God. The second aspect of God is that God is good. The Bible says that he's loving, he's gracious, his mercy. In fact, it says his mercies are new every single day. So Psalm 86.5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Psalm 145.9, The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his work. And so the Lord is what? He's good and he's powerful. But how does that explain the issue of suffering and the issue of evil. Well, this is where I usually go into the three F's. This is what people don't see or understand because they have no really, you know, they've never read God's Word. They've probably never heard a teaching about it. They just know instinctively, hey, life is about me, and it's about my safety. It's about my health. It's about, you know, good things happening to me and nothing bad, and therefore I'm living for self. I need God to explain himself as to why he lets these things go on. Well, I always point out the fact that, listen, God has given us free choice. That's the first F. In the, in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve the right to choose. This is what love does. If somebody is unloving, they are controlling, right? God didn't create us to control us or to create us like robots. So when he gave us the freedom to choose, we have the freedom to choose rightly or wrongly. If I have the freedom to choose love, I have the freedom to choose hate. And so Adam and Eve, listening to Satan's voice, chose to disregard and to disobey God and what he'd asked them to do and not to do. And as a result of that, Paul, what he spells out in the first 11 chapters is, we come into the world for self and we choose by an act of our will, to be our own God. I want to be my own God. I'm going to make my own decisions. It's about my wants, my desires, my needs, my, 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 my. And therefore, when our mind then becomes darkened, in that the Bible says that Satan then will darken the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not even be able to, to, to accept the truth. You can present the truth of God's Word, and it's like talking to a wall, right? Their minds are so closed uh, they're darkened in their thoughts, which dives them deeper into their sin. And so God created us to be worshipers. We have to worship something. So therefore, we suppress the truth about God in Romans chapter 1. We suppress the truth, and we, we develop our own God, called, and this is called idolatry. In other words, my God is the purpose for which I am living. It is what takes my attention, it's what has my affections, it's what I'm living for, it's what I don't think I can live without. All of these things become the idolatry in our hearts, and so God says over time, all right, I'm going to leave you to yourself, I'm going to give you over to what it is you want, and that is known as God's wrath. He just gives humanity over to what they want, and therefore, pleasure is pursued at all costs, and self's motto is, whatever makes me happy, that's what I'm pursuing, regardless of the cost. And so then sin begins to reign over us, and when the world becomes palatable, we don't really want anything else. And so this is how we kind of go down, down, down the tube, and then there's the fallen world. People have to understand, 
We live in a fallen world. And because the world has fallen and has been so impacted and permeated by sin, fallenness affects everything. It affects our thinking, our culture, our behavior, our sense of right and wrong. It, this is why we see abuse and addiction and perversion and the killing of innocent, rape, incest, all manner of evil. God's not doing the evil. Humanity is doing the evil. And it is a result of sin residing in us because of our fallen nature. Fallenness affects our natural world around us. Diseases like cancer and heart disease and Alzheimer's and mental illness and natural disasters of tornadoes and tsunamis and, you know, hurricanes. And the reverberation of sin in the natural world is felt by all of us. And then there is the third F, the forces of evil. The Bible says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the power of the air. Again, to the unbelieving world, they don't even, they don't even fathom that there's this unseen world, that there is Satan and his demonic beings who are at war with God and who are at war with humanity. And so he is the prince of the power of the air, the overseer of this present world in which we live, in this unseen spiritual world of evil is empowered and emboldened by him, why we, which is why we have things like mass shootings and terrorism and, you know, the preoccupation with the occult and the expressions of all types of evil that is being motivated by the human heart. And then the third is God is wise, all right? God is wise. He's understanding. Again, Psalm 34, 18 says this, because here's what happens. Now that I've been living in the world for a while, whether you are in elementary, junior high, high school, young adult, middle age, elderly, it doesn't matter. We've all been scarred and wounded by life, have we not? Every single one of us. So Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That word brokenhearted means to be shattered into multiple pieces. Life shatters us. We get hurt. Things happen. Things are done to us. We do things. There are consequences to our actions. And we are shattered and we, we, are, we are broken inside. And now we have built these walls around our shame and our guilt and our sense of condemnation. Satan comes along and heaps more shame and more guilt and more condemnation on top of us, and we don't know how to put ourselves back together again. That's why he says, who are crushed in spirit, it means to feel the weight and the pain of the hurt and the agony that you're carrying with you day in and day out. You get up in the morning with it. You go to bed with it. You think about it all day long, and it is absolutely crushing to you. But he says, the Lord is close, close to the brokenhearted, watch this, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The word save against the word sozo, it's where we get the word salvation, it is the essence of the gospel. In other words, what the writer of the psalmist is saying is this, 
is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power and the capability of taking shattered lives and putting them back together again, has the capability of removing our shame, removing our guilt, removing our condemnation, so that therefore those who are now in Christ Jesus have no more condemnation, but have been made new creations in Christ, and we have been forgiven, we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we have been justified in God's eyes. What can separate us from the love of God? There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Yes, life is hard, it is painful, and there is suffering, and there is evil, but pain, suffering, and evil will not have the last word. God will have the last word. We may have to live through that in the course of our lifetime. And so, but Jesus again came to address the mess, which is why the gospel is so powerful when you preach it and someone receives it in Christ, and God begins changing their life. And so Paul says, I, I urge you. So what is it that motivates you in the Christian life? What is it that motivates you to come to church? What is it that motivates you to love God? What is it that motivates you to serve God? If my motivation is I'm trying to gain God's approval and acceptance, and I'm trying to offload my shame and my guilt and my sense of condemnation, then I'm, my motivation is skewed. My motivation is being grateful and thankful for all that Christ has done for us and is doing in us. It is about this 30 days of taking what God says about you in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what God has done for you and will continue to do for you all the way throughout, of etern out throughout eternity. And Paul says, this is, our, this is our motive. He says, I urge you, I exhort you, I implore you, I appeal to you, I command you, I I beseech you, I call you, based on God's mercies. Now, let's offer God what he's rightfully his. Let's give God our absolute best in every area of our life and not give him our leftovers. You know, you look throughout the Old Testament. God talked a lot about first fruits and about the best. And, and he, uh, he oftentimes, when the best was not given, was not presented, um, God just didn't sit back and say, well, you poor dear, uh, you did the best you could, right? I know how easy it is to get caught up in life, and all of a sudden, you know, God is not, well, let's not say he's first, he may not be second, maybe he's third, he's, he's, there's just so many other priorities in my life now, and so many other things tugging for my time and tugging for my affection, and sometimes God just gets left in and Paul says, hey, how about we, we come to the Lord and every day that we begin our lives that we, we just consider this in light of everything that God has done for us. How about we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, giving that's holy and pleasing to God and, and giving God what is, is best. So this brings us to the requirement for giving God your best. And he says, I want you to I want you to sacrifice your body. I want you to offer your body as a, as a living sacrifice in response to God's mercy over our lives. Now, you'll notice he says that it is holy and pleasing. This is your spiritual, your spiritual act of worship. That word spiritual is really not a good translation. A, a better translation of that Greek word would be the word reasonable or logical. 
And so what Paul is saying in essence is this, the only logical response to the mercies of God is to offer, to sacrifice, to offer our bodies over as a living sacrifice. When I begin to discover and, and to understand the enormity of God's love for me, when I begin to understand the magnitude of God's love for me, when I begin to understand the, the majestic plan that he has for me and how he has lavished me in his grace, now all of a sudden it, it begins to transform my thought processes. When I got saved, I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew very little about anything spiritual or Christian. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And so, but I knew I needed Jesus. I knew God was pulling, he was, dra- he was pulling me into this relationship. He was, he was wooing me. He was sending out his messenger, the Holy Spirit, who convicted me of my sin and my need for Christ in my life. And when I got saved, I was like a, you know, a mental midget when it came to spiritual issues. I had no idea about the magnitude of God's love and the magnificence of his grace or any of those things. How did I learn those things? I learned those things over time as I read the word of God, like the book of Romans, and I began to understand my spiritual condition in God's eyes and how God had every right to condemn me for what I have done and who I had become. But out of his grace, instead of condemning me, God says, no, 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 no. He says, I, I foreknew you. I, I, I foreloved you. And therefore, I have I'm calling you, and I'm predestinating you into this image of Christ. Therefore, I'm going to call you into this relationship. And when you respond to it, I'm going to justify you, and I'm going to glorify you, and I'm going to transform your life from this day forward. And I want you now, in light of all of that, I want you to to offer up your body as as a living sacrifice. I want you, I want you to give all of yourself to me. Now, I didn't do that for the first many years of my walk with the Lord, right? God was there. Jesus was there for my emergencies, and prayer was there for the things that I needed. And so I was just kind of giving God crumbs. You know, last night I, I babysat my grandson, and they have a dog named Timber, and Timber's sitting on the, uh, uh, right in front of us in the couch, and I'd made popcorn. We were watching a movie together, my grandson and I, and so, you know, every once in a while I'd i throw some popcorn at Timber, you know, and he's just like, you know, throwing in crumbs. And it just kind of, God just kind of gripped me. He said, you know, Greg, this is kind of the way you lived your, your Christian life the first 10 years. You just kind of was throwing me crumbs until God got a hold of my heart. And, and all of a sudden, he just wrecked me. He wrecked me with the graciousness of his grace. And when God wrecked me, all of a sudden, I said, you know what, God, I... I can't do this anymore. I, I can't just give you what's left over. I've got to give you my best. And I was working as a pipe fitter at that time, a commercial pipe fitter. And, and so I decided, you know, I'm, I took God's word and I said, you know what, I'm going to read through the Bible. And I started reading through the Bible and I started, you know, pulling out some uh, study guides as I'm reading through the Bible. And I really got serious about prayer and I, I really got serious about serving the Lord in the local church that we were attending, and my wife and I jumped in. We started helping with the youth, and, and through a, you know, a, a transitional period in my life, all of a sudden, God issued another call on my life, and that call this time was to stop, give up your job, come and follow me, and become a fisher of men. And that's what I did. And as you, I've shared with you before, it did not set well with some people in my family, especially my dad, company I was working for, they'd invest a lot of money in me, and they were training me, and 
uh, become a superintendent on jobs. And when I told my dad, I said, I just feel like God's calling me into ministry. I don't know what kind of ministry. I don't know what God wants me to do. I just know I'm supposed to quit my job and go into ministry. And it, it was not a pleasant conversation. My dad and I were estranged for some time because he just didn't understand. He was not a believer. He couldn't understand why I would do that, why I would give up a lucrative job. And, you know, all the time and money that was invested in me by the company. And, but I don't ever regret that decision. And so God just took me deeper, and there's been many other times in my life in which he takes me deeper, and so I'm offering up my body, I'm presenting my body. Here's what I know about Americans. Your body is big business, right? We spend billions of dollars on shaping our bodies and tanning our bodies and surgically enhancing our bodies and dressing and photographing and feeding and medicating and caring for our bodies, but I want to tell you something, God is not impressed. These things are good. You should take care of yourself. I'm all about health and eating healthy and, and exercising and, and taking care of your, the physical body God has given you. But listen, our bodies, what he's saying when we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, why? Because our bodies, our physical bodies are the means by which we take the message of God's grace to the world around us. And one of the ways we do that is verbally, remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, how are they going to hear? How are they going to know about the gospel unless somebody tells them, unless somebody shows them how beautiful are the feet that carry the gospel into the world? So, yeah, we do it verbally, but we also have to do it through servanthood. Right? People in this day and time, they want to know how much you love them first. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. And don't make them one of your projects. Like, I'm going you know, to be nice to you just so that, you know, you give me opportunity to share Jesus with you. They're going to they're gonna see through that. They're going to read through that. No, when Christ becomes a part of us and we, when we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit from the inside out and we're presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, we are saying in essence, God, I know the message of grace. I've experienced the message of grace firsthand, and therefore, Lord, I want to love people like you love them. I want to care for them like you care for them. I want to be there as you are there for them. Lord, use me as a sacrifice, because it is sacrificial, right? What are you sacrificing? You're sacrificing your time. You're sacrificing money. You're sacrificing a lot of things in order to help people come to faith in Jesus Christ or to help them grow in that relationship or to serve them as we serve our communities and as we serve our neighborhoods and we serve our relatives and our, our friends. It is the message of grace that we are bringing to them. So we present our bodies so that Christian service can begin. Now, we live in a day and time where I, this is what I hear a lot. Well, pastor, um, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, right? That's code for, um, I love Jesus, but I'm not going to be involved in church. I love Jesus, but don't ask me to serve God. I love Jesus, but there are a lot of things I'm not going to do, right? I'm going to love Jesus and stay at home. I'm going to love Jesus and watch my TV. Uh, I'm going to love Jesus and do a lot of other things. And so uh, it's all about what's in here, what's in my heart, and not what is out there. I love God as he loves me, and as a result of that, I don't have to do anything else. People want to believe that if they love God with their heart, it overrides their responsibility 
of serving God and the body of Christ. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if you love Jesus, you're going to keep his commands. In fact, these verses that we've read this morning, these two verses, have several commands inside of it. He's not suggesting we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. He's commanding that we do that so that we serve the body of Christ and we serve outside the body of Christ. This is our ministry. Outside of the walls of our church is our mission. So we're all ministers, right? I might be considered by the IRS as a minister, but the fact of the matter is every single one of you sitting in here is a minister of Jesus Christ. God has gifted you. God's given you talents and abilities, a personality, a, a, a whole gamut of experiences and spiritual gifts So, because God has formed and fashioned you as he wants you to be so that he can help you understand what he wants you to do. Not because you're trying to earn grace points from God or brownie points, but because you love him and you're grateful for all that he's done through his mercies over your life. And so um, if you think that I love God over here and it's not important what I do over there, just simply is not, is not true. You have to pay attention to the actions of your body, otherwise your soul gets into trouble. Here's what I know about people who serve the Lord. When you start serving God, you, you never feel adequate. You feel totally ill-equipped. And so people do what? They start diving deeper into the Word of God. They start diving deeper into prayer. They, I mean, when we started working with the youth group, I mean, I've been in a youth group. I, I just knew what I had experienced uh, on a short-term basis because I was only there for a couple years. And so, uh, but, you know, I, I didn't, when I got saved, you know what the first thing that church did? I got saved at First Baptist Church of Heath. You know what first thing they did? Within the first month, we want you to teach a class of fourth graders. Are you kidding me? No, we're not. They threw me in there. I said, okay, I'm going to try it. It was disastrous. Absolutely disastrous. Those kids knew way more than I did about the Bible. They were teaching me. I wasn't teaching them. And, I mean, it was a wreck. It was absolutely a train wreck. And so I quickly gave that up, right? But here's what I do know. Every time I was asked to serve, uh, especially, you know, when I, we were serving in a youth group when we were in, living in Virginia, it's, man, I just got deeper in the Word and deeper in my walk with God and, and, and deeper and deeper and just going deeper with, with the Lord. And here, here's what happens. So when you go deeper and deeper with Christ, all of a sudden things that you used to struggle with, no longer a struggle. All the things, the temptations you used to battle with that you said to God 45 times, I'll never do that again, all of a sudden wasn't quite the same. Did not have the same power in impact upon your life. And so this is why Peter says in 1 Peter 2, chapter 2 and verse 11, listen, we are not settlers in this world. We are sojourners. We are simply going through this world. This is not our home. But while we're traveling through here, it is our responsibility to grow in our walk with God, to grow in our relationship with Christ, to grow in the gospel of Jesus so that we can see the mind of Christ being developed and formed in us, the character of Christ being lived through us so that when we are interacting with the people around us, 
they experience Jesus. Or when I walk into a hostile situation, a confrontational situation, that my presence can bring a transformation to the atmosphere in which I find myself so that when I'm dealing with unruly people, I don't come become unruly like them. Have you ever seen the pictures or the videos of what happens in an airport when they cancel a flight and people all of a sudden rush the counter and they're like, they're like piranhas upon those people who are, you know, work for Delta or whatever the airline is, and just like, this happened to us when we came back from uh, China, actually. Uh, we were in, got stuck in the airport and, uh, in Newark, New Jersey, and our flight got delayed for the, uh, for the, till the next day, and so did another flight. You know where those people were heading? They were heading to Miami because they had a cruise ship that was leaving that next morning, and the Flight attendants said, we can't get you there on time. They had to bring in the riot police. People got so unruly. I mean, fights began breaking out, and, and it was like mass mayhem. And so this is what God doesn't want to happen, whether it's in our workplace or at the airport. So the sacrifice is what? It's voluntary, right? You offer up. You're the one who's offering yourself up as a living sacrifice to God. And it is also complete. It is a living sacrifice. And what does he mean by that? A living sacrifice. Well, Paul is making a contrast. For example, in the Old Testament, um, when you brought a sacrifice, you always brought a sacrifice with you to the temple as you were worshiping, right? You didn't come with empty hands. And it could be multiple different sacrifices depending on what the sins that you were um, atoning for that day. Unless it was the Day of Atonement, then it was a very specific sacrifice. And so the sacrifices were offered upon the altar of God, and so they were consumed, they were cut up, the blood was drained out, they were consumed by fire. And so who became our sacrifice in New Testament? Jesus, right? Gospel, Jesus in my place. He is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He became God's sacrifice. Now, notice God says, I don't want you to bring me a dead sacrifice. I want you to bring me a living sacrifice. What does it mean, then, if I'm a living sacrifice? I'm bringing my life to God. That is my sacrifice. Jesus is the one who gained me entrance into the kingdom of God. And now that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, and I'm living for the kingdom of God, and I'm moving forward the kingdom of God, God is going to use all of us in order for that to happen, to see lives changed and to see lives transformed. It's not up to just one of us. I can't do it all on my own. You can't do it all on my own. I need your gifts. You need my gifts. We need one another. And when we work together cooperatively and corporately, God can do amazing things through this gifted body of Christ. And so that is the living sacrifice. It is my body. I'm, I'm bringing it to the table and saying, God, I'm giving you a blank check. Have you ever come to the point in your life where you give God a blank check? Now, maybe you don't write checks anymore. Okay, your, Ven, your Venom ID number. How's, how's that? Or your, your routing number of your bank account and your password. That, that's what God is asking for. And it's to be complete, right? It is not something I, I, I lay out there for God and only to pull it back. But I'm giving God my complete body, everything about me. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, our bodies have been bought with a price. And the price was the blood of Jesus Christ. So in light of that mercy, in light of God's grace, in light of God's goodness and graciousness, I come before him each and every day 
And I say, God, I don't know what the day holds in front of me, but I'm offering my body to you as a living sacrifice. May it be holy. Holy means set apart. I am set apart for you. May it be holy and pleasing to you. This is what? My spiritual act of worship. Worship isn't just singing songs. Worship is serving God. It is offering ourselves over to him as living sacrifices on a daily basis. And there are many people who do that all around the world who actually give their lives for that, right? It costs them their lives. We call them martyrs. And we celebrate martyrs, as we should. But when you're a martyr, listen, if somebody kills me, they're just sending me to heaven. And not a bad place to be as a follower of Jesus. But what about those who spend 50, 60, 70 years of their life every day offering themselves up as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing, who are serving God even though they get pushed back, they get ridiculed, they might miss a promotion, they might be you know, ostracized by a, a group of people. Listen, if we're going to offer ourselves up is living sacrifices, it can be costly, and the way our culture is going, the price is going up, and it's overrunning inflation. It's going to cost you something. And here's the result of this. And one of one is the renewing of your mind. He says, do not be conformed any longer to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's only two options here. Do not be conformed, be transformed. You either live by the flesh or you're going to live by the spirit. You're going to live hell up or heaven down. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have those options. Galatians chapter 5, Paul spells out exactly what each of those looks like. And so here's, what, here's the key here, is that if I'm not going to be conformed to the world, in other words, don't let the world press you into its, its mold, don't let it Here's the world's mold. Um, it encounters, encourages people to do the following things. Um, to get things and use people, right? Get what I want because I'm living for self. Live for the moment. Don't worry about the consequences. If it feels good, do it. Be who you are. Be true to yourself because that's really all that matters. What if you think is good for you is really good for you, but what if I don't think it's good for me? Then it's not good for me, right? Public opinion is more important than truth. Tolerance is more important than holiness. This is the mindset of the culture in which we live. God's saying, don't let us get squeezed into that. We want to be transformed, that metamorphosis, you know, the caterpillar, the enzymes that happen in the cocoon that transforms it. He says, listen, here's what happens is that when we start serving God and we go deeper with the Lord and we become more aware of what God has done for us, these mercies and what he's done on behalf of us, continues to do in us, desires to do through us, that our mind begins to change. We have a shift in our mindset. I don't see the world the same. I don't see people the same. I don't look at them like I used to look at them. I don't look at the person who cuts me off in traffic as somebody I just need to, you know, curse. Uh, just that, you know, and just fly off the handle. That's old Greg. Now we got to have new Greg. Uh, Tempted, but it doesn't mean I have to follow through, right? Because my mind is being transformed, and, and God is renewing me on the inside. And so what happens is, is that the, the gospel through the Holy Spirit begins to, 
to release the enzymes of the Spirit of God inside of me that begins transforming me so that what is going on on the inside begins to be seen on the outside. This is the only two times this word is used. One is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember what Jesus had become on the in, what he was on the inside began to be seen on the outside by his disciples, and it so blew them away, they're like, man, let's pitch tents and just live here for the rest of our lives. And Jesus says, no, 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 we got far more better and more, you know, work that we've got to do. And so in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, and we who are in unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the the Spirit, in other words, what God is doing inside of you now is beginning to be seen on the outside of you. And then, when I'm doing that, then I begin to discern what God's will is. We think that discerning God's will means that God just wants to help us with particular choices. Well, Lord, you know, who should I marry? Where should I live? What car should I buy? Who should I date? What school should I go to? That's, that's not what is referring to when he says that we are, we're going to understand. We, we will test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. We, we, we try and discern the will of God like it's a magic eight ball, telling you what right decision to make. But what if, what if, what if we were driven by a desire to please God? What does it look like for you to see everything in your life, all your talents, all your gifts, all your opportunities as something given to you to offer up in service to God and to others like Jesus did for you? Would that not transform your, the way you think? You would start to see your talents and opportunities rightly, and then you would start to make wise decisions when the gospel has transformed you into the kind of person who loves God, loves what God loves, you'll start instinctively doing what God wants. You will naturally begin to discern God's will. Because no longer am I approaching it from the perspective of what I want, what I desire, what I feel. It's now from the perspective of what God wants. What does he desire? What does he feel? What is he saying? Where is he leading? And as your mind is now being transformed by the renewing of God's word inside of your mind that downloads into your heart, and now you see everything you have, your talents, your possessions, your abilities, everything at God's disposal, then all of a sudden you're discerning. Why? Because the Spirit of God is leading you to do the things that God loves, that are important to God, and that is important to you, and because it becomes important to you because it's important to God. And then God begins to renew your mind, transform you, and you are now developing a discerning spirit so that when you get dropped into a situation for which you do not know what to do, your heart and your mind is so in tune with the Lord, the Spirit of God will give you the download you need to say what you need to say, to do what you need to do, to move where He wants you to move because you're walking with Him. This is what Paul said. He said, God has saved us not just for ourselves, but to be poured out as an offering into the hearts and the lives of others. 
we as a church, we're at a precipice, right? Like we, we can explode in reaching people or we can stay the same. And it's all going to be dependent upon what we do with the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that God has blessed us with. If we just want to spend it on ourselves and just be all about fellowship in the church and ministering to one another, and those are all good things and they are all necessary. And I love what's going on in our church right now as we are ministering to one another. But we cannot remain inside the container. We have to move it outside the walls. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. But collectively, we can do it together and see the hearts and the lives of people dramatically change where God takes a shattered life and makes it new again. Let's pray. Father, I pray, um, Holy Spirit, oh, you know, just challenge our hearts here this morning. God, just renew our minds. Lord, may we just fall in love with you all over again in a real and dramatic way. Father, may we come to the place that we're just, we're just, uh, we're just willing to to lay it all on the line. We are willing to die to self. We are willing to live for you, give you our best in every area of our lives, every day of our lives, 24-7, 365 days, because of what you have done for us. Just out of hearts that are overflowing with gratitude and just humbled, Father, just by the fact of what you have done for us. And to think that you did this you had this all planned before the foundation of the world, before we even enter into the world. God, you, you laid out the plan by which you would draw us into this incredible, incredible relationship with you. Father, I pray that we would not waste time, that we would not waste valuable energy that we have right now that would enable us, Father, to walk in your will. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak through our hearts over these next several weeks, that, God, you will help each of us to understand how you have uniquely designed us so that once we understand who we are, we understand what you're calling us to do. That, God, you would pull us together just as, as a physical body, the hand needing the arm and the head needing the heart and the body needing the feet, that, God, you would... You would collectively pull us together so that we might see our sweet spot as a church. God, what you have designed us collectively as a church to be and to do. The unique um, calling you have upon our church as to how we can most effectively reach the lives of shattered people who are, who are falling under the weight and the burden of of their, their lives that are just in, just in shambles. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us a love and compassion for those who are without Jesus. That Lord, you would awaken us to the needs that are all around us. That we have 
walked by on more than one occasion and never took notice. And even if we noticed, we just didn't do anything about it. We thought somebody else would do it when you were actually calling us to do it. So Lord, help us to be, as a body of believers, what we cannot be on our own. We're asking for the Holy Spirit to outpour, to build a fire within our hearts as we sung about this morning. But a new passion within us that is so, so deep and so wide and so burning that, God, we, we would get up every day just longing to do that which you have called us to do. And we thank you, Father, for the lives that are going to be changed because we are obedient, Lord, to your calling upon our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close out. Um, so where does it begin? It begins with you. It begins with me. Has there ever been a point in your life that you said to God, I'm laying it all on the line. I'm holding nothing back. Like if I had a giant offering plate, you would like step in the middle of it and say, God, I'm offering myself to you. It's, it's going to start right here. Parents, do your children see you on fire for the Lord? Do they, is church important to you? Here's what I know. If it's not important to you, the church will become irrelevant to them. Whatever chair you're sitting in as a, as a follower of Christ, your kids, grandchildren, they're a, they're a step below you. You look at the life of David where he was, and then look at where his son Solomon was. And then look where Solomon's sons were, charting down. What would happen if we as parents, as grandparents, as followers of Jesus Christ, got on fire for the Lord? And every single day, I'm just challenging you for the next week, from here, from Sunday or Monday through next Sunday, that you'll just take that green sheet and you'll just like, not God, I'm thanking you for this mercy in my life today. And now I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice. God, may you renew my mind. May you help me discern your will so that every time you give me opportunity to be Jesus to somebody else, Lord, I'm going to take it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow you wherever you lead. That's the challenge. Let's sing about it.